daily bags. I choose you. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Hey, welcome for not getting robbed. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm a superhero. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, that's right. We're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screens, and we want to make sure we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Scott. And I am Tim, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. So, Scott, man, how's your week been? I know you just had a real busy night tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> real busy. Yeah. <laughs> Hang in there. Yeah. I'm trying. Wedding, my wife's birthday. We It was even my wife's idea to swing by free comic book day on our way to the wedding it was kind of interesting you know mm. dro- dropped a little dropped some clams at, at the comic book store to support them so it's been yeah. a been a busy day kind of a crappy week oh it's all all said done but you know what it's just it's just the way some weeks go yeah that is the way yeah my uh week i i was kind of like looking forward to it because i was like okay wednesday night and you know thursday night i've got like those nights open i can you know just have a little bit of me time and all that and then wednesday night um i did spend some time i you know i read some comic books and all that and then two in the morning i heard the alarm going off in the basement and it's the alarm for our sump pump (laughs) okay oh no and we've been getting a ton of rain up here lately so i i go down it's like two in the morning go down there figure out what's going on i'm like okay my main pump is not working but i have a battery backup pump which you know kicks in if the other one fails i'm like well clearly the main one failed but uh i you know i look inside the well and it's all sealed up because i've got a radon mitigation thing as well so it, it just sucks air out of there but i have a little sight glass i look in here and I'm like, the thing's like, you know, almost like two thirds of the way filled up with water. I'm like, well, why hasn't the backup gone off? So I do an override and uh, try to get the backup to go. And as soon as I like, you know, do the the manual on it, it's grinding. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, I'm in trouble here. So um, run out to the garage, get a bunch of tools. And I spend the next two hours, like in the middle of the night, um, taking care of this thing and getting the, um, getting the thing open and repairing the backup so that I can get that one working. I couldn't get the main working. And just so that I could basically survive that. <laughs> that day and so that was that was my night and then you know then I spent all night Thursday night putting in a brand new one so yeah not super fun but in the end it was uh, everything was all fixed and then of course last night like was going to be another night since we were recording tonight instead of Friday night I'm like okay I got another night and uh, my washing machine started having trouble again <laughs> so had to go you know get that thing fixed again so of course, uh, was of spent, course. spent working on that so of course all my free time was just gone this week what, what's free time <laughs> yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a myth it's a myth it's a myth it's yeah myth. okay good yeah oh boy so anyway but enough of that <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to talk about some of this stuff oh good because i'm gonna be honest i didn't feel like there was that much but you found some you found some nuggets tonight yeah there's a few things so before we get started talking about that let's remind everyone that we are members of the suicide squadcast network which does include dc comic squadcast with chris and jordan and fans without borders and dc tv squadcast with brent and ray and also we want to take this opportunity to thank our patrons over on patreon over at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. We really appreciate all of you who are able to help contribute 
contribute to the network and you know help us pay the bills over here so we can keep on providing you with the same content week after week. And if you're interested and if you're able to become a patron, you know, just a reminder that the $5 a month gets you the access to the special RSS feed with all kinds of exclusive content. That does include the upcoming Squadcast Movies Review of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> yes. Tim, Ray, and I finally answered the age-old question, what is the worst Superman movie? And it was surprising. It was. There were some interesting opinions shared. So Interesting opinions. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yes. So that will be coming. And uh, I know that Ray and I have another Fans Without Borders Plus scheduled for this coming weekend uh, where we plan on reviewing Detective Pikachu. Okay. Nice. So I've got tickets to go see it Thursday night. So I'm, I'm ready to get my Pokemon on. Oh, and by the way, I think I, I may have another thing. Well, there will be another thing that I'll drop after we do the Quest for Peace episode after that one drops. It was the the fun little thing that we did with Ray. Oh, we, oh, <laughs> we totally did some crank yankers. It was great. Yeah. So Ray, you know, before Ray had signed on, I was with Scott and I'm like, hey, you know what? You know, I, kn- I knew none of us like love the film. Okay. That's just clear. I mean, sorry, no spoilers there, but I mean, it's a bad film. It's, it's the quest for peace. <laughs> it's the quest for peace. And so I was like, Scott, you know, before Ray gets on, what would you think of just, you know, let's pretend like we really like the film and just go all in, you know, like we're actually doing our real, real review and just kind of see how Ray responds. And it was, it was glorious. It was, it was, it was a sight to behold. <laughs> so we went on, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. No, we made it about eight. Was it eight? Okay. It was about eight minutes. Yeah, we went on for about eight minutes pretending like we were recording our episode. It was fun. So I'll, I'll drop that one as a, as a, a fun little bit for the patrons there. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get on to this news. How about you lead off with this interview with the screenwriter for Shazam, since you're the one who actually broke it down? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there, there's not a whole lot of news, but you know, now some of these like interviewers are coming out now that, you know, the movie's been out, uh, they can kind of air some of these interviews that they had recorded previously where they talked on some spoilers that, you know, they didn't want to air the interview. And, and one of these was kind of interesting, like a screenwriter, Henry Gayden, who, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot from him on this, but the interview had a few interesting nuggets, at least things that I found interesting. So we're going to run through those right now. Henry came in and said, I think what they really wanted is, is what I brought to the process was a way to write kids and how they think naturally and a little bit of heart that he was able to add. He was, I never honestly heard of Shazam or read any comics, but I immediately just sort of delved into it and it felt just genetically created for me to connect with. I really connected with it right away. Yeah, so Henry was basically saying like even when he's brought in to go write about Shazam, like he knew nothing about Shazam. <laughs> I like most people actually. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a bit surprising. I mean considering like how many people have probably written things. I mean, I know we had a couple other screenwriters that were attached at one time. I, I remember Darren Lemke was attached. Um, of course, Jeff Johns uh, was uh, kind of listed as a screenwriter, although I don't think he actually wrote a script. Uh, of course, it was, you know, what they were going for was kind of largely based on his New 52 story. So it, it's it's kind of interesting that, you know, of all the people that could have, you know, written something, they ended up bringing in somebody that literally knew nothing about the character. I didn't show because I felt like they kind of nailed it. Yeah, I mean, like any writer. I mean, I think, you know, if you, you know, like, like remember Chris Terrio, like he was doing tons and tons of research uh, leading up to Batman v Superman, looking at all kinds of different mythologies and all that. So it's like, I think any of these writers, these screeners come in, you know, that are real serious about the craft and all that, you know, they're just going to dive in and just pretty much learn everything they can about the, you know, the characters and, and try to find the things that interest them the most. And so, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I felt like, uh, I felt like he captured the mythology pretty well. So yeah, cool. Yep. Um, he, he went on and he was asked about whether there are any big changes throughout the production. And he says, well, you know, he was with this movie for over three years uh, through pre-production. And he said, nothing surprised 
him, you know, because he was always there throughout. And he said that if something wasn't really working, they had to fix it. So they fixed it. And he says, he says, when he pitched in on the film, it was still Dwayne Johnson and Black Adam. And so for the first year or so of that time that he's been on the film, uh, it was uh, involving uh, Black Adam in what they were going to do in the film itself. And he said a lot of what he wanted to do with the kids and Freddie and Freddie being a fan of the superhero world and all that was there. But all the Savannah stuff wasn't there yet. And because it was Black Adam at the time. So kind of interesting. It gives a little bit more of a, a timeline about when things changed because as he said, he was on this thing for a little bit more than three years. And that first year or so, uh, to quote him here, was still Black Adam in the film. Interesting. I, d- I don't even think if I n- knew that, like as far as as far as us following it, we just already always thought it was going to be Savannah. At least that's what we'd always heard. Um. Well, I mean, early on, it was always thought that like it was going to be Black Adam because I mean, remember originally when we first heard about Shazam, it was Black Adam that was cast. Right. But yeah, that's true. I just I guess it's just been so long. Yeah, and we've we've gone through so much. Like I'm just I'm forgetting things in my old age. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So like uh, that, you know, in about two years ago, that's when we kind of felt like, you know, we'd been hearing some things that maybe been switching up. And and uh, that's when Dwayne Johnson really kind of like started talking more about like a Black Adam solo film or at least hinting at it. So it seems like that's when things kind of changed in their plans there. And so they go, well, we don't have Black Adam anymore. So who are we going to bring in? And that's when they brought in uh, Savannah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, let's, let's be honest. Shazam has a very limited rogues gallery. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we got two of them in the movie. <laughs> yeah, we got two of the three. Technically, we got three of the three. If you consider that history lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much so. And then, of course, a question came up about, you know, has there been any kind of guidance from Warner Brothers about the the tone of the film? And Henry said, no, I never felt any kind of pressure at all. It was always kind of like, you know, here's a property we have. Let's just squeeze as much emotion, humor and love out of this thing as possible. It was always us making the same movie uh, from the jump. So he's basically saying that, you know, there was never anything that came in and said, you know, try to do a different tone with Shazam. And I, and I think that seems that seems about right. It seems like this has always been the approach that they want to take with this film. Yeah, I mean, of course, what else is he going to say? But yeah, yeah. But also it's Shazam. Yeah. And then this one was kind of interesting. Now, this was one of the scenes that I really did enjoy from the film. And it actually kind of gave some background about how this all came about. And uh, the question really was revolving around that Savannah speech bit at the end where they were he was talking to Shazam and he was doing his big diatribe about, you know, the the big villain speech at the end. And and he says uh, he said, like, during post, it was actually during reshoots that they uh, had worked out that scene. He says David Sandberg had sent him some pre-visualization and was like, okay, in the final battle, we have Savannah and Shazam. Uh, They're in the air and you need to write some dialogue for that. So they had it all laid out and staged and they sent him a video and it just said dialogue here and it just showed the shots. And then someone had actually put in a wind sound effect into the previs. And and when he saw it, he says, oh, my God, there's all this wind. Like if somebody hadn't put that wind in, he never would. This scene never actually would have been born because he says, when I just heard the wind, I was like, oh, my God, they can't hear each other. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So then I just wrote this big Baroque speech from Savannah. And uh, then you cut to Shazam and you can't hear it. And it was great. And they shot it. And then in editing, David Sandberg actually added one or two more cutbacks to make it even funnier. And he says, it's just a beautiful part. And everyone was contributing and building to make it what it is. Probably one of the best jokes in the movie, if not uh, the best one, which I agree. That was probably one of my favorite things. And, and that one was done really well. But it's amazing that that really all came about during the previs like stage where they, they had the shot. 
shot and are like, well, we don't have any dialogue yet, so we got to figure something out. <laughs> I think it's amazing. That is that is funny. That, well, I, those are the kind of stories I love when I hear about movies because it's the, you know, it's it's like when you hear things like the Great Raiders story where that great showdown between the swordsman and Indy, how that just happened because Harrison Ford was ridiculously sick and just wanted to get his shooting done. And so, you know, he shoots the guy. You know, it, like there's so many great scenes that are just completely improvisations just based on, you know, inspiration striking or necessity. Yeah, right. And and then the question was asked, you know, you know, where would you like to take Shazam next? And he says, what excites me the most is seeing that family as they are at the end of the movie and with their new powers and how they continue together. He says, this is the most exciting to me. And so that's kind of at least where the screenwriter's head is at, where he would like to go is essentially still involving that family. And so that, that was kind of like one of the things that I wasn't all bought in to the film. I know you like that part of it, but like I wasn't really into the extended Shazam family uh, being all heroes at the end. And so that part, um, I didn't have as much interest in in the film. But would you want to see that? You've made that, you've made, you've made that perfectly clear. Yeah, but I mean, would you want to see that? Would you want to see all, you know, all the extended uh, super family at the end? Yeah. See all them throughout the the next film? Yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of have to now. I mean, you, you've already set it up. It, you, you don't get to, you don't get to play that card in the first movie and then take it away from us yeah. in a sequel. No, you, you have to deliver on that now. And really, something that I have not been reading yet, and I really feel like is where the second Shazam movie is going to go, is the current monthly Shazam series that Jeff Johns is writing. They, the whole idea of the Seven Realms and, you know, having the other kids along, I would, I need to start reading like the first three or four issues that have come out so far so that I can kind of get a feel for how that second movie could possibly play out because that really does seem like the direction they're going in. Yeah, and I would agree. I think because they had kind of set that up, it would be kind of weird not to continue to play on it. Right. It's it, it would be kind of, you know, there's the old concept of the Chekhov's gun that when you see the gun in the first act, it better be fired by the third act. <laughs> right. Now, this is one where, you know, you get the Shazam family at the third act of the first movie, which means, well, then you better as heck use it in the second movie. Yeah. Uh, and then there was also uh, an interview with uh, producer Peter Safran and and actually I, I kind of read through this thing and he's got his talking points down. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he though? We've seen the exact same thing several times so there's nothing really I'm going to rehash here at this point. So, anything else Shazam related or are we ready to move on to some Birds of Prey and the Phantom Emancipation of One Harley Quinn? Yeah, I mean the only other thing, uh, there was uh, some question about some shots that were uh, deleted from the film and some people had like put together these little promo shots or they at least linked to these promo shots and one of them was... Um, you know, during like the power tests, you know, with Freddie and, and uh, Shazam, uh, one of them was uh, Shazam kicking a soccer ball. And then there was another clip where it showed him dunking uh, with a basketball, doing a slam dunk. And so the, I guess the question was like, where are these deleted shots? And apparently David Sandberg had actually responded and said, no, he didn't even film those. Those were done like during promo shots. I mean, they look like they could have been filmed for the film itself. It's like they were on set. They were, you know, they were kind of in context. Uh, and uh, we certainly had never seen them, but yeah, apparently that was just all done outside of David. Oh, wow. Which is interesting. Uh, and just done for like trailers and... Yeah, it's like, they were like international promos. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like, you know, somebody came along and said, hey, you know, we're going to film something real quick and, you know, <laughs> took those two actors and just came up with something, so... Fun. Okay, in regards to Birds of Prey, the Fantastic Emancipation of one Harley Quinn, uh, there was actually an interview with Jared Leto with Variety, and of course he was asked, 
ask some Joker and DC-related questions. I do I do enjoy this one when he was asked by Variety if he was going to be in Birds of Prey, and his response is, I don't think so, but you'd have to ask them. The, inter- the interviewer says, the internet says, maybe you are. And all Jared Leto says is, oh, yeah? Well, we'll see. <laughs> and, and the look on his face is interesting. <laughs> really? I haven't seen Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like he's like, you know, uh, should I be, am I supposed to be talking about this? You know, so like either he genuinely doesn't exactly know what they're going to do because, I mean, we, you know, we saw all the, you know, we saw the the stand-in for him. You know, it was the Leto-style Joker. Uh, we saw some of the set footage of that. Uh, so clearly it wasn't him. It was just somebody dressed up like him. And so the question was like, okay, is this always going to be a distant shot without dialogue? You know, is it just going to be like a, a quick kind of flashback kind of thing? But, you know, I mean, you know, maybe they're just going to bring him in real quick and just record some uh, ADR to go over the other actors. Uh, you know, It's been done recently. So it's, it's been, it has been done recently. So so either he doesn't know or he hasn't been asked yet or, you know, or he's just, you know, being very coy. Yeah. And he said that, yes, he would definitely play the Joker again. And he, he was saying it all depends on the script and the circumstances, as it always does for all of these. So he's at, he's at, he's being smart and he's not closing the door on any opportunity to get more work. I'll say that for him. Yeah. Uh, and then the next one, which I was kind of pretty surprised by. Uh, he was asked if he had actually seen Joaquin Phoenix's uh, Joker trailer. And he says, no, no, I haven't seen it, which I have a hard time believing, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I can make it work, but, you know, he might have just said that just to avoid having to comment on it, which I could see that being the case. Which I could see. But I mean, I could see him as, you know, somebody who, you know, respects the the genre and and filmmaking and and, and all that. Like, you would want to watch that trailer. I mean, it's, uh, I just, I just feel like he had to have seen it. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he's probably just like avoiding the question. Just to not have to answer it. Yeah, and does not have answered. And it's like, because it's really, it's kind of unfair to him anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. Why does he have to answer, you know, because there's a lot of people that are going to make comparisons and like, that's, what does he, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't, he's not interested in that. He, he knows what the difference is between the films. <laughs> and uh, this week, uh, Gal Gadot had a birthday. Yeah. And so we were treated to a brand new image from Wonder Woman 1984 from Patty Jenkins in a little happy birthday tweet that was sent out. Yeah. Uh, P- Patty wrote, happy birthday to my most spectacular, incredible, amazing, beautiful, loving, powerful, hilarious, and awe-inspiring friend and partner. I love you more than words can say. Happy birthday, Gal Gadot. Hashtag WW1984. Yeah. Uh, she looks gorgeous in this photo. I'm not going to lie. It's a very pretty looking photo. I love the sort of weird, reflective, you know, lens flare t- type of things going. <laughs> like multiple, like 20 lens flares in it. It's So I'm trying to figure out what what's actually being, like what's this being filmed through? Is this actually the shot that we're seeing in the film? I don't know. That is an excellent question. Yeah. But uh, she's wearing like a white outfit and immediately a bunch of people just started jumping on like, oh, is this is this like kind of a call pack to the depowered uh, Wonder Woman from, what was it, the 60s? 60s. Late 60s, right? Late 60s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman 178 through Wonder Woman 204 where she was she was depowered for a period of time. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a... That was a it was a weird era. Choice. <laughs> it was a choice that didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was like... It was like an era where like they're kind of embarrassed about being a superhero again. So they they kind of made her like oh she's like a spy or something. I can't. She remember. was a spy. Yeah, okay. they were kind of yeah. they. It was kind of like Diana Prince super spy, and they were trying to show that she could be a hero. I think the intention was to show that she could be a hero without her powers. Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting thing because I mean I, 
I kind of dismiss it at first, but then I started thinking about it some more. I'm like, well, maybe that is part of the storyline, you know, because, you know, you had the whole thing about how she, you know, quote unquote, walked away from humanity for 100 years. And, you know, was she trying to to still kind of be involved in humanity? But did she kind of go this route where she wasn't doing it, uh, you know, using her powers or anything? And she was just, you know, was she involved in some spy work? It's interesting. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, you know, the, I'm expecting a trailer or some sort of footage at Comic-Con this summer. Yeah. So, you know, we will see what we get shown. Yep. And then we got a small little update on the Batman film. And this is from Justin Kroll from Variety. And he just basically put this information out in a tweet. And he says, here's a small Batman update for you. Hearing that the script is still being polished up and that there's a possibility shooting begins at the, at the beginning of 2020 instead of the fall of 2019, which means it's probably still, which means it'll probably still be a minute before we find out who the next caped crusader will be. And of course, uh, Umberto Gonzalez had to kind of jump on the tweet as well. And he says, he had to, ba- he had to bandwagon. <laughs> uh, Scooby Pants, as you say, right? Or is uh, Scooby Pants. Scooby Pants, yeah. Yes. D- thank you. Thank you, Dave, the film junkie. Yeah, Dave. Dave, that's very a classic. I love it. He says, to add to what Justin said earlier, if the start of production doesn't get pushed to first quarter of 2020, Batman production would start Monday, November 4th in London. So <laughs> I love how it's like, this is when it's going to start, except for if you pay attention to the tweet that I'm tagging onto. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's the it's the if. I love it. Kind of throws yes. that in there. Okay. This next little bit of news, I kind of got a kick out of. Yeah. Uh, because we're talking about the Suicide Squad and, you know, casting is continuing to happen. And we got two casting um, announced this week that really does, like, verify that really weird you know, scoop rumor we reported about like a month ago about yeah. who the members of the Suicide Squad was going to be. The one where we looked at it and we thought, seriously? And it's like, <laughs> no, seriously. Um, yeah. Polka Dot Man is going to be in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Which is awesome. I, I love it. <laughs> I, I I don't know how I feel about this. I am, however, excited because of who got cast as Polka Dot Man. And that is uh, David Dotsmulchen, mm-hmm. who, of course, I love from The Dark Knight. Yes. He he played the crazy he played the crazy inmate that Harvey was you know threatening to shoot to find out where Rachel was and he's also going to appear well he's and he's appeared in in the Flash TV show as Abracadabra he, he's appeared in oh, I'm trying to think other things he appeared in I know he's going to be in the in uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, Dune adaptation that comes yeah. out next November and and the role he's been cast in is it's Piter is perfect yeah no it totally fits yeah he's got that face like as soon as you see it, you, you will immediately recognize him. And like, it's, you know, and I immediately connect him to the Dark Knight. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. You, he just got that face that you just can't, you can't not recognize. Yeah. He's just, he's just one of those actors that like when you see him and you go, yep, I know you. Mm-hmm. I've seen you. Yeah. I just, I just hope he gets, I just hope he gets, uh, you know, some more, some more work. You know, it's just, it's, it's great. It, it's great to see him around. I mean, he was even in an episode of Gotham at one point. So it's just, it's great to see him around. Who was he in Gotham? I do not remember. Okay. It was a couple of years back. Okay. Because, I mean, he looked familiar and I just couldn't quite think of who he was. I think it was probably, I want to say it was around season two or season three. I, but I'm leaning towards season two because I so. that was a, yeah. I, I think it was almost.
was in the same year that uh, yeah it was 2017 so you know it was really fun in 2017 you know he played abracadabra in the flash and then he also played this character named dwight pollard who if it was that was actually like season three i think because it was the it was the season where jerome had the had the the, the stapled on face like death of the family and dwight pollard played this cult leader uh who was you know kind of a, a cult of uh, cult of jerome and he actually i think was the guy who even like found the face and, like wore the face for a time so, oh, okay yeah which was funny i re- i remember it now because it was funny because he kind of plays a joker follower in gotham and he played a joker follower in the dark knight so <laughs> right. I, I i found the parallel uh, humorous yeah yeah for sure and then of course he uh kind of posted his excitement online on instagram he posted a picture of him reading a trade paperback of silver age suicide squad right which is not the the uh the villain suicide squad which i thought was an interesting choice yeah <laughs> so um yeah it's it's i think he's probably just starting at the beginning of the mythology right so. well i mean we've we've read that silver age stuff and i mean it's a very self-contained yeah. the the original suicide squad does not have a ton of appearances no <laughs> definitely not i think it's only like six issues i mean it wasn't a whole lot it was i mean it's a very thin paperback yeah we can, we can say that <laughs> yeah but that wasn't the only suicide casting news we got uh, going back to that rumor report that we talked about Ratcatcher has been uh has been cast and this was a character that i didn't even i remember you had to tell me who this person was yeah because when we talked about that that rumor report a few weeks back this was one of the characters i was like who <laughs> and it's a newcomer by the name of daniela uh melchior melchior uh I'm not really sure. She, they say newcomer, so I'm like, does that mean uh, this is actually going to be her very first major studio role because she's mainly worked in the Portuguese film and television industry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what they mean by newcomer. I mean, she's just not in Hollywood uh, with anything major at this point. So this will be, you know, her, probably her first big role, I guess, right? Well, yeah. No, the, that's exactly what this uh, Variety report from Justin Kroll was stating. But it's saying that uh, sources uh, are saying the studio is now casting the role as a woman who will have some connection to whoever Idris Elba ends up playing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, it uh, looks like they've uh, made Ratcatcher, who was originally a man, uh, made the character a woman, which is, I think, good. They definitely need that balance. And so this will be interesting. So, like, you know, if there's a connection to whoever Elba's playing, I don't know. I'm going to have to go I back, and with DC Universe now, I'm going to have to go back and just, you know, find these uh, appearances and just try to learn a little bit more about the mythology of Ratcatcher. I'm, I'm sure it's deep and and, and wild. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love it. I, I love the, these obscure characters being brought to light because, I mean, this is just like perfect for Suicide Squad. Well, the thing about the <laughs> thing about having these more obscure characters is that it's not going to be like Slipknot where we're all like, you're the dead one. Yeah, we, <laughs> we all knew who was going to die <laughs> before yeah. we even saw the film. This one, I'm not so sure. I mean, they're making it they're making it a little <laughs> bit more like, oh, wow, you're kind of giving us a few options here. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oh, well, and then uh, we got some news that... That, um, production designer has actually joined uh, the film, and it's from the movie Drive. It's Beth Mickle. I still need to see that movie. Yeah. I really do. And I've been told by people who whose tastes I appreciate, I've been told, oh no, you would love this movie. Yeah. So I need to check it out. Yeah, so she 
uh, she also worked on Margot Robbie's Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Was that the movie you had a hard time saying that one time? I don't know if that was the movie. <laughs> I've seen Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, actually. Yeah. Um, I, my my issues with the film would have nothing to do with the production design. Yeah. So. Uh, and then she was also attached to the Flash solo film before it <laughs> kind of went into pre-production hell. <laughs> which, which time? Yeah, which I don't know. time? I mean, let's... They don't say which one. I think it's also interesting that on James Gunn's uh, Instagram, he's just, he's really hammering home this Ostrander love. Yeah. Which, I mean, who else are you going to show love for when it comes to the Suicide Squad? I mean, David Ayer did a lot with that. I remember Ostrander even reviewed David Ayer's Suicide Squad. So it's just, you know, John Ostrander's got to be seriously feeling the love at this point because everyone wants to go back to his run on the characters, which, again, he is the creator of this iteration of the Suicide Squad. So I, I just think that that means you're doing it kind of right from the start. Yeah. And I love the fact here that James Gunn says, you know, look, I haven't been an enormous fan of Suicide Squad and all of its DC Comics incarnations, but to me, there will always be something special about the John Ostrander run. And he says, Black Ops military tales with disposable, often forgotten supervillains, pure perfection. And then he says, this is a photo of my own collection. And he's got all the single issues. So like, he's not playing here. Like he must have actually had all these. Yeah. Because, and they look in pretty decent condition. Yeah. So that's cool. So, um, yeah. So we would encourage you guys, you know, go back and read that for, for a number of reasons. We'd encourage you to go back and read the Ostrander run of Suicide Squad. Had a lot of, had a lot of great character to it. Yeah. You can, you can get like the whole thing at this point, almost like in what, five or six trade paperbacks or have they gone up to seven or eight? I, I, I've lost track. I've, I've lost track of like, at what point have they released the trade paperback of the original Ostrander run, but they put out quite a few. I mean, and I just say, if you, if you're fortunate enough to be able to subscribe to DC universe, go check it out there. Uh, I'm sure they all have to be on there. Well, you know, you keep on forgetting. It's so weird to keep remembering that that's now available on DC Universe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you want to read a DC comic? Download it. It's there. Yep. Okay, well, we're moving into some TV news, starting off with Krypton, <laughs> who uh, sent out a tweet that I'm so glad that Tim linked me to because I had a blast. I, I love the fact that in the tweet, it says the villains have arrived. It says hashtag Krypton, hashtag DC Year of the Villain. That's kind of cool cross-promotion because yes. the it wasn't technically the free comic day issue. It was like the, the something they'd started doing last year where they put out a 25-cent issue the Wednesday before free comic book day, which is basically what a free comic book day issue would be. And the event is called the Year of the Villain. Yeah. So I love that kind of, you know, that that cross-pollination there that they they knew enough to tie that in. Yeah. And then and then you play the motion poster and it's like <laughs> the good and it shows Segel. It says the bad. It shows Zod. The the badder and it shows Brainiac and then the baddest shows Doomsday and then it says the bestiche and yeah. then it shows Lobo and I just I lost it I was like well played Krypton well played somebody who definitely knows the mythology absolutely um, and then that one's like premiering what was the date on that one again is like um, that is June June right June something something in June and which is great because it's a summer it, it goes from being in the middle of everything else to just being a summer show yeah and that is uh, June 12th. June 12th, okay. Yeah, I knew it was like close to the middle of the month. Um, and of course, that's on DC Universe if you have it, so go check out that. Well, season one's on DC Universe, and then, well, season, yeah, two right. be, and then season two will be premiering on the Sci-Fi Channel. Right. Um, and then Epix, uh, again, you know, a, a channel that neither you or I have, but they have released a bunch of images from Pennyworth. Uh, continue to love the aesthetic of it. Uh, so I'm trying to think here. We, we get a good look at uh, Pennyworth himself. And we get Thomas Wayne, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think it's Thomas Wayne. 
Wayne. Yep. He's got, he, with the stash. Yep. And then we get some other characters who we do not know who they are yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to finding out. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, HBO's Watchmen uh, put out three different motion posters on Instagram. Uh, pretty intriguing. The first one very much kind of speaks to uh, Manhattan and it's just it shows like that kind of like the symbol at least kind of plays to the symbol from uh, Dr. Manhattan himself and and it actually has those like rotating rings kind of like what you had from Superman the movie yes yes exactly <laughs> yeah the, the, the Kryptonian prison the Kryptonian like prison cell before they get beamed up uh, the second one was uh, the pirate flag from the Black Freighter <laughs> at least it speaks to it it speaks to tales from the Black Freighter yeah and and the little comment from the Watchmen account said abandon all hope ye who enter here yeah uh, and then the final one is shows a a new American flag and uh, it's got a quote that says it's not 1985 anymore and it's a flag that's got like I think it's the same I'm guessing about the same number of uh, red and white stripes here but it's got a, like a new star pattern right down the middle in a circle and somebody counted it up and it looks like it's about 51 stars so we have a new state we have so a new state Tim, so and, <laughs> Tim and I literally thought the same thing as we were discussing it off mic yeah was it Vietnam is that the 51st state so I don't know but we'll have to see, we'll see. yeah so that's interesting. I, I, I like that. So uh, continuing on, you know, there's obviously been some changes. And so it's going to it's going to be a nice kind of setting for the show. And then over on Instagram, uh, Brock Bessinger, uh, who will be our star girl, uh, posted a photo of her and Jeff Johns. And she was, you know, we didn't get a full blown look at her costume, but we got a we, we at least got a non photoshopped looking uh, look yeah. of her costume. And it looks good. So looking forward to whenever the star girl series is going to premiere on DC Universe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's got to be kind of a special moment there for Jeff Johns, of course. I mean, Courtney, um, what's her last name? Courtney Whitmore. Wait, Courtney Whitmore uh, is is a character that he created based on his sister. Who was also named Courtney. Who was named Courtney. And he based it on her because I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, some of you I'm surely, surely do know it, but his sister was one of the victims in TWA Flight 800 that uh, blew up in the air and crashed. It was down over, it was leaving New York, I believe, right? So That's, yes. Yeah. So that was um, his sister was actually on a plane and she died in that accident. So, um, so yeah, it's it's probably got to be pretty emotional moment for him, I would imagine. Yeah. All right. Well, now is the time where we do our weekly review of Doom Patrol. Yes. And this week we have episode one twelve, Cyborg Patrol. <sighs> I gotta say something about this episode. Yeah. This had to be like the least weirdest, <laughs> most like well, are straight you sure? Fo- yes, actually. <laughs> I said least weirdest. I didn't okay. say not weird at all. <laughs> That's true. Okay. But least weirdest, I would feel almost the most straightforward superhero that Doom Patrol has been all season. It, it Very much so. And I actually really enjoyed this episode. I, you know what? As much crap as I gave this, uh, this iteration of Cyborg yeah. at the beginning, this episode really made me care and really sort of buy into the character. Yeah. And more so than I have felt all season. I, I would agree. I would agree 100% with that. I really latched on to his storyline in this episode. It was yeah. really powerful. Especially at the end where I was real. I didn't know why it was happening, but I did realize that this version, you know, this Mr. Nobody uh, prom 
prompted version of Grid, who's not really there, you know, was was feeding him was feeding him lies. I figured that out. Yes, but I never made the connection to Mister Nobody. Yeah, and uh, in this one too, like I I really did kind of like how uh, Silas um, actually was kind of like you know you 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 were kind of like rooting for him in this. Like you didn't feel you didn't feel like you know as as much anger as you may have had earlier in the season here, and then they actually kind of like do a little bit of swerve with you on this. It fooled me, by the way. I thought he really did ride out the Doom Patrol. Yeah, it fooled me too. It fooled me too. Yeah. So so basically, uh, as it starts off, you know, uh, Vic is is being held captive by the Bureau of Normalcy in the Ant Farm. Yeah, because he's in the Ant Farm. He's in the Ant Farm, which is which. By the way, those operators, <laughs> really cool design, making them almost feel like little worker ants. Yeah, they really did. But it was really kind of cool. So like the rest of the Doom Patrol like decided to get together and say, hey, we need to try to go in there and and try to rescue Vic. And they're like, we can't do this. And and it was proposed, why don't we bring in Silas? And this, you know, was made very clear by Vic. He didn't want, you know, Silas ever brought in. And they kind of went outside of his wishes. And, you know, so they decided to bring him in and they went to try to infiltrate and go in there. And they, they're kind of like doing a Star Wars thing. Like, <laughs> well, they even made the joke. <laughs> I mean, they even had Robot Man go, <laughs> Seriously, no one sees Star Wars? Yes. <laughs> Which, considering that, that I was watching it on Star Wars Day, was kind of fitting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, so they basically like brought him in like they're bringing in some prisoners into the ant farm. And then uh, he proceeds to, uh, Silas proceeds to turn in and hand over all the other Doom Patrol members to the ant farm. Robot Man, Jane, and Larry. Because at this point, we don't know where Rita is. We just kind of assumed Rita stayed home. Yeah. Which plays into the whole twist when we find out, no, she's there too. (laughs) Yep, she's there. So it was just like this, this moment like, oh, he like betrayed him and like I was definitely fooled I didn't see the swerve coming uh no no not at all uh I thought the ant farm was uh appropriately creepy I I will admit my one criticism was that weird general who you know ate the Big Mac and shot himself at the end of the episode I really looked at that character going huh <laughs> what I I that was the one part of the episode that kind of pulled me out of the episode and just didn't click with me that just that that didn't that was the that was a one drawback in a, in a really solid episode for me yeah well of course a surprise twist on this was uh Rita was actually there she had actually turned into her little glob form and was hiding inside uh robot man yeah yeah a, robot she was man, inside yeah. of cliff's body cliff yeah and uh and now it's all kind of revealed he opens up his mouth and she just like falls out <laughs> this big long stream of like just glob glob yeah which we haven't seen her go all blobby in a while so that yeah, was not since the first episode oh no we've seen her go blobby since all but, the way yeah. like 100 percent globby no 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 not 100 percent blobby yeah. no that's that's true she yeah. but but she's been controlling herself so well that she hasn't even been like oozing any yeah no this one is also kind of cool like they actually had trapped the negative spirit from larry as well and put him into a jar but yet somehow they've got larry conscious and being able to like operate yeah. without the negative spirit inside of him so like there's definitely something that i want to i want to get explored yeah i mean so what was behind that but it, but then you get this really good moment there where larry could literally you know as they're walking out he could leave that spirit there in that jar and kind of basically be free of him and he decides to go ahead and take um, the negative uh, man spirit with him in the jar which was cool because i watched him going larry <laughs> grab him please you know, like i i i saw him i'm not sure 
sure if he thought about leaving him, but I sure felt like he thought about leaving him. And then he, oh, he's clearly thinking about it. But I'm so glad he he grabbed him and he took him, and it was fantastic. I was just yeah. like, "Good, Larry, you've grown as a person." <laughs> well, and I can't wait to find out what they actually do with that negative man spirit. Uh, like, what's the story behind that? Uh, yes, I, I'm I'm there with you too. Like, there's going to be some big payoff there of some sort. But let's 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 jump to the end because we got to talk <laughs> about. Okay, so it's so Cyborg goes nuts on Silas. Yeah. Because of what he thinks Grid is revealing to him, which is basically Grid showing him everything that, that it's like confirmation bias. It's Grid showing him all of this newly discovered surveillance footage yeah. that just happens to show Silas saying everything that Vic has possibly feared about his father. And then it's revealed it's all Mr. Nobody screwing with him. Yeah. While he is beating question mark to death, yeah. Silas? We like, don't know. Is Silas dead or is he just, you know, in a coma or what? Because I was sitting there at the end of the episode going, tell me, is he dead? <laughs> I know. I don't, I can't tell. I mean, it, the the beating that he gave him, I mean, certainly it's, it's. I mean, it seems like he may have killed him, right? But I mean, and that's the thing. He's like cradling his body at the end, just kind of sobbing. And I, and I was sitting there going, you're going to end the episode right here. You're going to, yep. yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> yep, yeah, you, did. Screw you. Screw you. And I had to wait till next Friday. Oh, man. Um, and so we don't know. We don't know. I mean, I, I think he's, I think it's, he's. It's, it's, it seems like this where Mr. Nobody is like the most terrifying villain ever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what he did to poor Vic there. I mean, it's just terrible. And, and then Vic realizing what happened. Um, it's, it was just such an emotional kind of scene to see played out. Oh, man, I can't so. believe we've only got what? Three more. We have three more, three more episodes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I got to tie a bow on all this. I know. And the next episode is the one with Flex Mentallo. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which I love. Because the next one's called Flex Patrol. Yeah. He flexes his muscles and then things happen. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I'm, I am I am, I am unfamiliar with the character. I know that he's connected to Danny the Street, which yep. makes me question what. <laughs> it's like, if you're connected to Danny, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's right out of Grant Morrison's head. So you can just be prepared. Be scared. <laughs> you can be, <laughs> be afraid. Yeah. Be very afraid. Yeah. No, this was a this was a fun episode. I mean, it was fun just in terms of like, you know, the whole storyline of like trying to, you know, go rescue Vic. You know, that that whole part of it was fun. And the, the twist definitely surprised me. Uh, that was kind of fun to see. And then the storyline with Vic at the end was so strong. So does that. So is, is this going to lead us to believe that Grid had was making him more cybernetic or was that all in Vic's head perpetrated by Mr. Nobody? I don't know. That's what I don't know. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what exactly is happening other yeah, than, okay. other go- than the fact that Mr. Nobody is involved now. Okay, good. So, so I'm not the only one just yeah. they're going, what's real anymore? No, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Okay, good, good. Okay, but if, if, okay, what do you have? We, we have to talk about the, uh, when they freed all the other captives in the ant farm. The butts are loose. The butts are loose. And you're like, okay, what is this going to be? And it, you're not butts. ready. You're not ready. You're not ready to see this. <laughs> I, I, I got a little bit of like um, the trouble with Tribbles from Star Trek. Kind of, yeah. I, they, they, I got a little bit of a Tribbles vibe while I saw angry, literally angry butts, mm-hmm. eat man-eating angry butts. Yes. <laughs> I, literally sure butts is, running around with little legs on them. With, with teeth between the cheeks. Yes. <laughs> I, <sighs> 
It's so bizarre. This is this is. I, I'm I'm assuming this is another Grant Morrison. Something else we could thank Grant Morrison for. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, if I if I read, I, you don't remember Angry Butts. If I read, I mean, there's a lot I don't remember from when I. I mean, last time I read this series was as a kid, so like a lot of it I just don't remember. But this seems like it. It's just right up his alley. If not, they're just certainly inspired by like delving into all the lore that you know he created. Well, you know what they they went they went off they went off the reservation with Beard Hunter. So yes. I, I I cannot I cannot uh, just automatically assume that everything is just Grant Morrison because apparently they they can take Grant Morrison and say hold my beer. So just... <laughs> well, Beard Hunter was uh, you know Grant Morrison creation, not the version. You know, that was definitely... I know, but still, that they went there. Yes, yeah. So they are not ashamed to say, hold my beer. I'm just saying. <laughs> so when I t- see man-eating butts, I yeah. I don't know. Oh, that was just... <laughs> that was just so weird. It was awesome. <laughs> Oh, oh, I love this show. Seriously, love this show. show is so good. Yeah, uh, we go from Titans to this, and the next thing we're getting a Swamp Thing. Yeah, it's like oh my god. All right. Well, uh, unless you've got anything else uh, besides saying that DC Comics beat Marvel Comics in March, yeah. which they uh, what was that? They they had the first six positions of top ten, and then they still had uh, number ten. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yay. Then they had and they had bigger and they had bigger market share. So I always it's always nice when the comic books themselves are doing well especially since we're taught since we are recording this episode on free comic book day yeah for sure so, so we hope you all went to your local comic book shop and picked up some free books and then did the responsible thing which is buy something while you're there yeah right i yeah. talked about 100 bucks so okay. I, I did my i i did my bid for king and country yeah oh well that's that's cool man so yeah i mean i guess uh, i mean the i think the biggest thing was like detective comics 1000 oh yeah absolutely no no so of course detective comics number 1000 is going to be you know in the first spot because you know they don't they don't differentiate between all the different variants. So you yeah. get a book with lots of variants and people trying to collect all the variants. Well, of yep. course the book is going to be number one. Yeah. All right. Well, good for DC Comics. I'll be curious to see like now that we have DC Universe, like what's the impact going to be a couple years from now? You know, on print publication. Yeah, that is a very good point. Just don't know. Hmm. You know, because I mean, if it's if it's people like you and I, I mean, like we've <laughs> we've become more comfortable with like not reading things right away. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think it's so much that I've grown comfortable. with with it as much as it's just it's happened all right well this was a fun one i just want to first of all thank you guys for listening to this week's podcast we hope you had a lot of fun with it i mean we had a lot of fun i i really enjoy talking about the doom patrol episode yeah that's that's kind of the beauty of these slow news weeks is yeah. you know we don't feel as rushed at the end to talk about doom patrol <laughs> yeah for sure well we hope to hear what you th- guys think about the news and you know if you're if you're lucky enough to live in the united states and have a subscription to dc universe so please reach out to us you can we can be reached at twitter at suicide squad I can personally be reached at ScottDC27. Yeah, and then on Twitter, you can reach me at Alan Fire. And of course, you can email the show at suicidesquadcast at gmail.com. And we've been getting back to our email correspondence. <laughs> There's a few more waiting, but, you yeah. know, slowly but surely. Yes, we have. Guys, you could also find us on Vero uh, Facebook. We have a website, suicidesquadcast.com. You could find uh, ourselves and all of the other shows. So go check it out. And then, of course, go over to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia, where $5 a month gets you access to that feed. Because remember, you You've got a couple of beauties coming. You've got our <laughs> Superman 4 review. And, you know, don't forget, Pika Pika. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For those of you that are going to see it. So, all right. Well, we want to thank you guys again. And uh, to all of you guys, we would encourage you to go out and keep reading some DC. Bye, guys. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, Scott, you know, I'm preparing for this week's news. I read like this. It wasn't a super long interview, but I mean, it took me like a few minutes to kind of read through it. Uh, another interview with uh, producer Peter Safran. And I just have to say, he needs to start working on his talking points and vary it a little bit because I feel like I'm reading the exact same interview every single time. You really are. You do realize you are reading the same interview every <laughs> single time, right? Yeah. Every single time. The exact same answers. I mean, I, I'll give him props for being very consistent. Like, he's got his talking points down. He's on message all the way through. He's on message. But you took away three minutes of my time, Peter, and I'm not going to stand for that. 